anyway, uh, Isaiah, we were, we've been out of the chapter for at least two weeks, and uh, the book for at least two weeks. I'm excited about getting back in, especially tonight. The outline is meant to cover Isaiah 11 and 12. Now, I am not um, set on finishing the outline. If we get halfway through and we have to pick up next week, that's fine. We'll do that. Uh, but uh, we just kind of want to see where the Lord leads us and takes us uh, here with all this. Isaiah 11, once you've found that, if you could, if you're able to, stand for the reading of God's Word. And uh, we'll begin by looking at the first six verses. We'll be looking, uh, time permitting, at the entire chapter and even the six verses that uh, make up chapter 12. Verse 1 of Isaiah 11 says this, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of, of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Can you imagine a time where these animals who normally devour each other will live together in peace? Can you imagine walking out your front door and looking across the, the way in a field and seeing a leopard lying down with a goat? With a goat sleeping with his head on the belly of the leopard. Imagine that. Can you imagine a child walking around uh, leading a lion by the mane and there being no harm done? Well, when Jesus reigns one day, that's exactly how it's going to be. That's how it was in the Garden of Eden. And when Jesus reigns one day, that's how it's going to be again. And so tonight, we're going to look at uh, the end of Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 7 through 12, make up uh, a prophecy given under King Ahaz, and chapter 11 and 12 sort of bring us to the end of that prophecy, looking at an era in time where Jesus is ruling here on this earth. And so I have titled the Bible study, something from the Lord's Prayer. It is entitled, Thy Kingdom Come. Thy Kingdom Come. Let's pray together. Lord, help us tonight as we look at an exciting chapter, and Lord, anticipate with great hope what one day will be when our Savior when our King, Lord, rules this earth and uh, is we're all subject to Him, uh, Lord, not just spiritually subject, but physically and materially subject to Him. We look forward and anticipate that great day. And so tonight, as we look at these uh, chapters, may we be encouraged to live for You uh, as we await the day where we get to rule and reign with You. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Well, Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 gives us what is known as the Lord's uh, Prayer. In that, uh, in that passage, we find the Sermon on the Mount where the disciples of Jesus come out of the city 
And there they are gathered in a field and Jesus is standing on a mount and he's addressing his disciples early on in his public ministry. And in the middle of this sermon that he preaches, he gives us what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, he says this. He says in Matthew 6.10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Uh, The rulers of our world, we'll see in a little bit when we get into Psalm chapter 2, the rulers of our world, they absolutely hate God. They cannot stand His authority. They try to pretend He doesn't exist. They know He does. And so uh, they would never, ever, ever in a million years, they would never, ever elect Jesus to be their king. But one day, Jesus is going to come to this world. This world right here that we live in. Uh, one day, He's going to come down and He's going to, uh, He's going to take charge whether the rulers of this world like it or not. They're going to turn their arsenal against Him. They're going to try to fight Him. And He's going to open His mouth and He's going to destroy the opposition. And then He's going to set up a political theocracy where He will be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. He'll be the executive, legislative, and judicial branch all by himself. Jesus Christ will rule and reign right here on this earth for 1,000 years. Now stop and think about that. A thousand years is a long time. In fact, if you were to turn back the calendar all the way to 1,021, we would label that as ancient History, that's how long a thousand years is, and that's how long Jesus will rule and reign right here on this earth. Now, his headquarters will be out of Jerusalem, where he will sit on his throne, the throne of David. Um, Isaiah 11, by preview, tells us how his rule will be. His reign will be righteous. His rulers will be the tribulation saints first, and the church age saints will work alongside the tribulation saints. Everyone will follow the rulership of King Jesus. Everyone. Everyone will be subject to doing exactly what King Jesus says. Uh, Now today we have wars and we have rumors of war, but when Jesus reigns there will be no more war. In fact, can you imagine a child picking up a textbook uh, 500 years into the reign of Jesus and picking up an old relic of a history book and reading about uh, B-52 bombers and uh, atomic bombs and taking that textbook to his parents and saying, what are these things? And the parents scratching their heads and looking down and say, we have no idea. You see, these things won't be needed anymore because when Jesus rules and reigns, there won't need to be militaries, there won't need to be uh, armies, there won't need to be uh, tanks and fighter fighter jets and fighter pilots and uh, there won't need to be a marine corps there won't need to be special ops all of that will be put to rest because there will be no more war isaiah chapter 7 through chapter 12 is one large prophecy that isaiah gave during the reign of king ahaz the only king who is out and out wicked during isaiah's uh, uh, tenure as prophet Uh, he isaiah has talked about how that Israel would be cut off by God like a tree cut down and then burned. He has talked about how Judah would be taken into captivity because of their sin with only a remnant 
to survive. In the last two chapters of this prophecy, uh, chapters uh, uh, 9 and 10, uh, he offers God's chosen people, rather chapters 11 and 12, these last two chapters of this 7 through 12 prophecy, he offers God's chosen people hope through the promise of Israeli dominance and Israeli supremacy found one day with their Messiah, their chosen one ruling the world. So Isaiah chapter 11 offers us a window into the future. Uh, we get a small glimpse of how things will be when God is the political leader of this earth. I wonder for a moment how um, the media is going to cover the government of Jesus Christ. I wonder if they'll be hostile toward him. I wonder if there will be a press pool. I wonder if there will be a press secretary. I wonder if there will be negative coverage and positive coverage of King Jesus, just like there's negative and positive coverage of the various politicians in the world today. I don't know how all of that's going to work, but one day I do know Jesus will be king. And Jesus told us, he said, pray for his kingdom to come to earth and to reign. Many people will, will say, I, I just hope that there will be peace in the Middle East. How many of you have heard the phrase, peace in the Middle East? When I was a little boy, we would go to these all-night, um, let's see, watch night services. I can remember being a little guy, going to watch night service. This is, uh, let's see, December 31st, we'd ring in the New Year together. Has White Oak ever done any of those? Way back in the day, we have those here. And I can remember there'd be this lady every year at the watch night service. They'd take prayer requests. You know, we'd pray in the new year. So, you know, 1130, the years I was awake, because then I'd sleep. I'd be asleep on the pew, like some of you are right now. Amen. Um, they'd ask for prayer requests. And every year, this elderly lady, she'd raise her hand and she'd say, I pray for peace in the Middle East. And I remember sitting there thinking, what does that mean? Peace in the Middle East. Uh, peace in the Middle East. Well, listen, I want peace in the Middle East. But the reality is only Jesus can truly bring full-time peace in the Middle East. There's going to continue to be wars and rumors of wars, especially out that way. The Antichrist will bring some limited peace, but only Jesus can bring permanent peace. Let's jump in tonight and look at Isaiah 11, verse by verse. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew there. Get that out and follow along. Uh, if you don't uh, can't find one of those, then uh, look on with someone around you. But let's look at this verse by verse. Okay, point number one of the, uh, of the uh, Bible study night is this, the coming king, the coming king. And that's covered in verses 1 through 10. Let me give you an A B and a C here. Notice letter A, his simple roots. His simple roots. Look with me at verse number 1 there. Isaiah chapter 11 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Look down at verse number 10. Verse number 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. We'll look at the rest of 10 here in a little bit. A root of of Jesse. I find it interesting here in verse number 1 and 10 that it does not point back to King David. It does not say there will be a, a, a rod out of the stem of David. A branch shall grow forth from David's root. It points back to simple Jesse. Um, Jesse, we know David was a king. David represented royalty. And we know that Jesus is of the descendant of 
David and he will sit on David's throne. But it does not talk about David in chapter 11, verse 1 or verse 10. It talks about Jesse. Jesse was just a simple farmer. Jesse was an animal farmer. He was a shepherd by trade. He never achieved any sort of throne in his lifetime. Now, David would, but here it points to Jesse, not David, but Jesse. When Isaiah wrote this prophecy, he was dealing with a people that God was getting ready to cut off. This was a a people, present day Isaiah, where the ten northern tribes in just a handful of a few decades, Assyria would swoop in and take away the ten northern tribes of Israel and scatter them among the nations uh, for seemingly for uh, for an indefinite amount of time. And and then the two southern tribes were going to be carried away in just a handful of years by Babylon. And then only a small remnant uh, would survive that. God was going to cut down the tree. Watch the analogy here. God was going to cut down the tree of Israel because of their wickedness and rebellion against God. Throughout the book of Isaiah, Isaiah gives us the image of uh, Israel being this great tree and it being cut and burned. Cut and burned. And it would seem as though that this burned stump would never offer any life or offer any hope. But Isaiah offers hope to the nation in chapter 11 and tells them that one day a rod or a branch is going to shoot up out of this burnt stump that has been cut down because of Israel's sin. And there will be hope. There will be hope. Now, of course, the first time that that branch sprout up, it was rejected. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2. Um, we know the first time that this rod of Jesse would come up, it would be rejected. By the way, while you're finding Isaiah 53.2, I find it interesting that it's pointed back to Jesse. Jesse the farmer, Jesse the shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd and Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the ultimate shepherd. He is the one who is the shepherd of the church and he is the shepherd of the flock of God. And uh, just as Jesse was a farmer, Jesus would follow in those footsteps and he would be rather just as Jesse was a shepherd. Jesus would be a shepherd. Furthermore, just as Jesse came from simple means, Jesus would be born into simple means. Jesus would be born to peasant parents. He would be born in a city in anonymity of Bethlehem. He would be laid in a manger. He would have shepherds, again, Jesse the shepherd. He would have shepherds come and worship him at his birth. And so here we're told that this this rod would stem, this branch would stem up from the burnt, uh, uh, the burnt stump, the, the, the remains of Israel, and it would come forth from Jesse. The first time he came, he would be a rod that would shoot up and be cut down and rejected. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 2. I didn't turn over there. But it talks about there, it talks about uh, that he would come as a what? A tender plant. See that there? And a root out of dry ground. Uh, Jesus came the first time as a root out of dry ground. You see that? And what happened to him? He was rejected. He was cut off. Did the Jews accept their Messiah the first time that he came? No. They nailed him. They killed him. They took that, that, that sprout that came up from the burnt, uh, uh, the burnt stump and they cut it off. They cut it off and they said, 
we don't accept you. We don't want you. Now, the nation of Israel cut him off on the cross the first time he came as the rod of the stem of Jesse. The second time he comes, turn over to Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. The second time he comes, he will come as the righteous branch of David. The first time he came as the rod out of Jesse. The second time he'll come as the righteous branch of David. Look at verse 5. Jeremiah 23 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute justice and judgment in the earth. You see there, it's not pointed back to Jesse and Jeremiah. It points back to David, to David. Why? Because the second time he comes, he will be that righteous branch of King David. He will have that royal rule and that royal reign. The first time he came humbly. The next time he comes, he'll come with great authority. He'll politically take over and be in charge. We're looking at our coming king. Letter B, notice his spirit and righteousness, his spirit and righteousness. Go back with me to Isaiah chapter 11 and look with me at verse number 2. Speaking of King Jesus, our coming king, and we see here that he comes and uh, he comes and not only does he come out of Jesse, not only does he come from that line of Judah, that royal rule, but we see um, his spirit that in which he rules. Look at verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. All right, let's stop there. I want to show you something really neat here out of the book of Revelation and how it ties back into Isaiah 11. This is meant to be a Bible study, so let's take our Bibles and study them tonight. Turn over to Revelation. Turn over with me to Revelation chapter number 1 and look with me at verse number 4. We found here in Isaiah 11 two, seven different spirits that are listed, and uh, Revelation has a lot to say about the seven spirits. Turn over to Revelation chapter 1, and look with me at verse number 4. Here we see Revelation 1-4, it's going to mention seven spirits that are before God's throne. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, the seven spirits. All right, uh, so Revelation 1-4 tells us about seven spirits that exist before the throne of God. Turn over to Revelation chapter 4 and look with me at verse number 5. Chapter 4 and verse 5. And here in Revelation 4-5, um, it, it equates the seven spirits to seven lamps burning before God's throne. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. It says, And one of the, and out of the throne, rather, proceeded lightning and thundering and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So Revelation 1 told us there are seven spirits before God in His throne. Revelation 4 equates these spirits into lamps that burn up before the throne of God. Turn over to Revelation chapter 5, and probably on the same page it is in my Bible, chapter 5, and look at verse number 6. It says, There and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Who's that speaking of? Who's that speaking? Talk to me, church. Who's that speaking of? The lamb that's been slain is speaking of Jesus. Look here. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the 
seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. What are the seven spirits that Jesus has? Turn back to Isaiah chapter 11. And here we see uh, the reign of Jesus. We saw uh, his royalty, his royal lineage. Verse 2 is going to lay out for us his seven spirits that are, that are talked about in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. Look here, verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord, that's the first one, shall rest upon him. Look here, the Spirit of wisdom, 2, and understanding, 3. The Spirit of counsel, 4, and might, 5. The Spirit of knowledge, 6, and of the fear of the Lord. Those are the seven spirits of God, now, or of Jesus. So, uh, which of those is the Holy Spirit? And I would tell you the first one on that list, the Spirit of the Lord is the Holy Spirit. The rest of those are the spirits by which Jesus will rule from Jerusalem. Those seven attributes make up our coming King that will rule. Turn, uh, hold your place in Isaiah 11. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 30. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Look at verse 30 with me. It says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. I'll wait till you get there. Here's some of you still turning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. See, some of you think I'm really fast at turning in my Bible. I never really won speed drills growing up. I was always like third or fourth. Okay, so if you're slower than me, I'm, I'm average. Amen. So you've got to work on it a little bit. All right, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What's it say there? That Christ is made unto us wisdom. There's that spirit of wisdom, that spirit of wisdom. Now, look up there with me, if you will, uh, at the screen, or you can look back at Isaiah 11, 2. And what you find here is the Spirit of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit, and then you get these six that are listed in groups, in groups of two. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Those are not the same thing. Some people have a lot of head knowledge. They have a lot of understanding, but they lack wisdom or discretion or discernment when it comes to life. Um, I, I, I sat there with a guy one time who made a mess of his life, uh, just made all kinds of bad decisions with his life. And I sat there and Jeopardy was on TV. How many of you here are really good at Jeopardy? Okay. My dad is really good at Jeopardy. I told him he should go on the show. He'd probably win all kinds of money. And then I'd have actually have an inheritance. Amen. And I tried to sign him up one time. And uh, anyway, um, I, I sat there with this guy one time. He'd made a mess of his life and just made all sorts of poor decisions. And I was amazed at how well he did at Jeopardy. He knew a bunch of trivial facts in his head. He had a head full of knowledge head full of understanding, but he didn't have a whole lot of wisdom. Look there, spirit of counsel and might. You ever met anyone that had a lot of brawn but not a lot of brain? They were strong as an ox, but they made really poor, foolish decisions with their life. And Jesus will not only rule with might, he'll rule with counsel. You know, Jesus is not going to have a cabinet around him. 
He's not going to have cabinet meetings. He's not going to call in the, 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 uh, the Secretary of Defense and say, how should we handle this? Or the Secretary of the Treasury and say, how should we handle this matter financially? No, because Jesus gets counsel from nobody. Jesus, when He rules one day, He will rule with the spirit of counsel. Yes, He'll be philosophical and He'll be smart, but He'll also have might and power. He uh, also has a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. A lot of people who are smart and have head knowledge, they don't fear anybody because they think that they know everything. How many of you ever here ever met a know-it-all, right? Somebody who thinks they're a know How many of you here are that? Okay. How many sit next to? No. Um, the, the, uh, the know-it-all type, right? We went to camp one time with... Um, uh, it, with some folks, and it was a Christian camp, and Angela and I were counselors, and Angela got stuck in the room with a fellow female counselor, and she's sitting in there, and uh, she's trying to tell this girl about the country of Peru. This girl had never been to Peru, did not know anything about Peru, but everything Angela tried to say, the girl would say, I know, I know, I know, and Angela wanted to kill her by the end of the week. She said, you know everything, don't you? You think you know everything, don't you? And uh, some people, boy, they think they know everything. And, and listen, there are people who know a lot. The problem with knowing a lot and being headstrong or head smart is that oftentimes you don't fear the Lord. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus is not only will he know everything, he'll still fear his Father in heaven. We're talking about the spirit of Jesus this evening. In his rule, he will rule uh, with the Holy Ghost. He will rule with wisdom and understanding. He will rule with counsel and might. He will rule with knowledge and a deep fear of Jehovah God. We're looking at his spirit. Uh, Notice back in verse number 3, Isaiah 11. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, "...and shall make him of quick understanding..." In the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breadth of his lips shall he slay the wicked. All right, let me pause here and, uh, and talk about uh, the end of verse 4 here. When will God with his mouth, uh, like a rod, destroy the wicked? When will he slay them with the breath of his lips? Well, that's simple. That's the battle of Armageddon. Jesus is going to leave heaven after a seven-year tribulation, and the church-age saints that have been raptured will mount on horses and come in behind him, And we're going to be his backup, but the truth is Jesus doesn't need any backup. You can go to Revelation chapter 19 and read all about this. The armies of the world are going to come together uh, to oppose him. He's going to open his mouth and swords will fly out of his mouth and the armies of the world will be destroyed in such a gruesome way that the blood of these men uh, and soldiers will fill up to the bridle of the horse. Jesus is going to destroy his enemies. He's going to laugh at their derision. He is going to bring them to nothing. Uh, Why? Because he is all-powerful. And look back at verse number 4. It says, but with righteousness, righteousness shall he judge the poor. It goes on to say that he's not going to use his eyes in verse 3 
or his ears. Now, um, uh, to judge in, in our court system today, a judge will sit there on the stand and uh, he'll have folks come in and he will use his eyes and he will size up the situation. Maybe a jury would do this in a criminal case. Uh, they'll use their ears to listen to evidence. They'll use their eyes to look at evidence. And once they have considered the evidence with their eyes and their ears, they make a judgment call. The Bible says here in Isaiah 11 that that's not how Jesus is going to rule. Jesus is not going to need to see or hear anything. How is He going to rule? He's going to rule with His righteousness. He doesn't need to see or hear because He is God and He already knows the very thoughts that we think. He knows the steps that we take. He knows the pondering of the ways of our life. Uh, David said, try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Uh, God already knows the very intents of our heart. He doesn't need to have a trial. He will rule and reign in perfect righteousness. Look at verse number 5. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The very clothing of our God will be righteousness. The very clothing of our coming King will be righteousness. How will Jesus rule and reign this earth? How will he run the justice system of planet earth? How will he handle wrongdoers? He will handle them with perfect righteousness. Now listen up here. You maybe can fool a judge. And you maybe can fool um, a, a, a parent. You maybe can fool um, uh, your boss. You might can pull one over on a spouse. But you will not be able to get away with anything with Jesus Christ. Because He will be the judge and He will know uh, right, off the, right off hand whether you did right or wrong. There will be no fooling Him, our coming King. Look at letter C. Notice His solemn restoration. His earnest Restoration. Look down at verse number 6 of Isaiah chapter number 11. Now, of, of, of everything we're going to cover tonight, I think this is probably my favorite part. Look at verse 6. It says, The wolf, speaking of the condition of planet earth, after Jesus takes over and he's in charge, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Now, I've never seen a wolf and lamb get along. Have you, Brother Greer? Wolves devour lambs, Right? That poor little lamb in the presence of a wolf is just just uh, lunch, just dinner, right? Um, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Look at verse, also shall dwell with the lamb. Look at verse 6 again. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, or with the goat, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together. They're just going to be wandering around in a field together, and a little child shall lead them. Now, that's quite a sight to behold. A child uh, walking around and leading a, a fatling and a lion and a baby cow through a field. And I can see a little kid saying, Mom, uh, my pet lion's outside. Can I go outside and, and uh, take him for a walk? And Mom says, just be home by supper. Just be home by supper. And there won't be any thought of that lion ever doing any harm to that child, verse 7, And the cow and the bear shall feed, or feed side by side. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw 
like the ox. We're talking about going back to a time where animals are herbivores and no longer carnivores. Verse 8, And the suckling child, or the infant, shall play on the hole of the asp, or the snake, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. He's going to play right where the scorpions are. you imagine seeing a child in the ditch playing with a snake or playing with a, a scorpion and thinking, oh, okay, no big deal. Hey, have fun. You know, uh, this is how it was in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam, when uh, the serpent slithered up to Eve and had a conversation with her in the Garden of Eden, Eden Eve wasn't scared of the snake. Um... Adam named the lion with a lion standing right in front of him and didn't give any thought to that lion hurting him. One day, King Jesus is going to restore the earth back to that state. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18. Romans 8, 18 with me. Um, the Bible talks about how that nature knows uh, that the whole system right now is broken and it is crying out for King Jesus to come back and fix it. Make no mistake, King Jesus uh, is in charge of planet Earth. Uh, King Jesus uh, can call the shots with planet Earth. When he was here the first time, the winds and the waves, the disciples were marveled that the winds and waves obeyed him. You remember, he came out there in the middle of the storm and he just said, Peace be still, and the rain stopped and the winds ceased and the storm immediately went away. And the Bible says the disciples marveled how that even the winds and waves obeyed him. Uh, nature cries out, Romans 8 tells us. Look at verse number 18. It says, Paul is speaking here to the church of Rome. He says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What's that mean? You want to put... In comparison, the suffering, the pain and hurt and sorrow in your heart with the joy and glory you're going to feel one day, he says, the two aren't even comparable. To the degree that you're hurting right now, on a much greater level, one day you're going to rejoice once all this is fixed. Look at 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for, for the manifestation of, the revealing, this is speaking of the second coming of Jesus, the manifestation of the Son of God. For the creature, that's me and you, was made subject to vanity. And boy, don't we deal with vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him um, who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Don't you wait? Aren't you awaiting that day when you're delivered from the bondage of corruption, the bondage of vanity, uh, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Look at 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body, or the making whole of our body. How many times have you and I, uh, uh, maybe I, I can speak for myself here, I'm sure many of you can relate with this, if not all of you, where you've, you, you, you've fallen into sin and you've blown it, and you've done wrong, and you feel guilty about it, and you get on your knees and you confess it to the Lord, and then you just get straight angry. How many know you get angry with yourself? How many know what I'm talking about tonight? How come I keep falling into the same 
hole. I keep falling onto the same sin. I just can't seem to get over the hump in this area. And then I'll say to God, Lord, why don't you come back and restore me? Why don't you make me whole? Why don't you redeem me? Why don't you take away this corruption and this sin nature? Just as frustrated as you and I get over the battle of sin that goes on in our life, nature itself is frustrated that it is in this fallen state and awaits a day that Jesus comes and makes even nature whole, makes creation whole. You hear a lot about global warming. You hear a lot about taking care of planet Earth. One day Jesus is going to come back and He's going to heal the Earth of all of its ills and infirmities and He's going to make it whole once again. We're talking about the the coming King. Notice number two, notice the comforting King, the comforting King. Go back with me to Isaiah chapter number 11 and look with me. At verse number 10, the Bible says, we'll read down through 13, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign or a banner of the people. Uh, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall and, and, and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the island of the sea and, and shall set up uh, incense for all nations or banners for, for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together uh, the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not vex um, Ephraim. Let me give you here an A and a B. Excuse me. Notice letter A. Rest for Gentile believers. Rest for Gentile believers. Go back to verse number 10 with me there. Notice it says, And in that day there should be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign. That word ensign is our modern day banner. For a banner or a sign of the people. Uh, to it shall the Gentiles seek. I love this part here. And his rest shall be glorious. His rest shall be glorious. Jesus is going to come, make no mistake about it, and be a Jewish king. He's going to rule from a Jewish city. Uh, Israel will be the dominant uh, uh, land, but Jesus is not just coming to be a king for the Jews. He's coming to be a king for all people. Take your Bibles to Psalm chapter 22. And verse 27, I just pulled out uh, just a handful of the verses I could have taken you to. Uh, boy, if you really want to study how the Gentiles are involved in the millennial reign, there's quite a bit in the Bible uh, to be observed here. But let me just give you a small sampling of what the Bible says. Turn to Psalm chapter 22 and verse 27. By the way, for those of you that may not know, a Gentile is any being, any person that is not a Jew. And so if you're not a Jew, then by default you are a Gentile. How many Gentiles in the room tonight? Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. All right. If your hand's not up, I assume that means you're a Jew. Okay. If you're a Jew, we'll get to you in a minute. Uh, so, uh, uh, but uh, Gentiles, which would make up 95% of us or more in here tonight. Look at chapter 22, verse 27. The Bible says, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. Last week, 
while I make these comments, turn over to Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 14. Last Wednesday at this time, uh, we were in a church service that went on for, oh, I don't know, three and a half, four hours. And uh, we did that Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. And I have to tell you, it was a very overwhelming experience. If you've never been to the conference in New Jersey, I'm going to do my best to try to put in words uh, what we experienced. The only real way to experience is to go and be a part of it. Imagine with me that you're sitting in a room that seats about 1,500 people. And imagine that it's jam-packed shoulder to shoulder, and 95 to 98% of the people in the room are passionately in love with Jesus Christ. And imagine that they're all standing up and they're singing as loud as they can about how much they love Jesus. And then imagine that you get a choir up there with a full-blown orchestra and they're singing to this orchestra playing about how great and mighty God is. And if you've ever been to a sports game and you've seen people stand up and clap over a home run being hit or a touchdown being scored, you've seen how passionate people can be at a sporting event, imagine an auditorium full of 1,500 people and all over the room you have people standing up and waving their Bible and shouting amen and getting up because they're so stirred by the music and coming and kneeling at the altar and praying. That was what we experienced last week at this conference. I, on the way home, or shortly after I got home from the conference, I had this thought hit me. Uh, not, not, not even one twentieth of the Christians in the greater area of this church are gathered in this room tonight. Now imagine every Christian on planet Earth right now gathered into one place, singing and praising Jesus together. Imagine how much more uh, uh, emotional that would be. And then uh, multiply that with all all of the church age saints, all of them together at one time with Jesus actually in our presence, uh, high and lifted up, and we're singing and we're praising Him together, boy, that's what heaven's going to be. Boy, that's what the millennial reign is going to be like when we travel to Jerusalem and we live in the presence of our King. Look with me at uh, Daniel chapter 7 and look with me at verse number 14. The Bible says... And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Jesus is not only going to be a king for the Jews, but his righteous rule will bring rest and peace and praise for the Gentiles. One more for you tonight. Turn over, and we'll finish here. Hosea chapter 2 and verse number 23. Hosea is right after Daniel. So Daniel, Hosea. Hosea chapter 2, and turn to verse number 23 here. The Bible says, And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that hath not obtained mercy. And I will say to them, which were not my people, speaking of the Gentiles, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. That's going to be a great day, isn't it? Where we gather at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem during this thousand-year reign. And God looks down at us with a big smile on His face. Jesus looks down at us with a big smile on His face and He says, Hey, Gentiles... You are my people. Collectively, we look back at him and say, and you are our God. It's going to be a great day. You know, um, 
The reality is, tomorrow morning when you wake up, if your back hurt when you went to bed, it's probably going to be hurting when you get up tomorrow. And if your boss is uh, not nice to you, uh, was, hasn't been nice to you this year, probably not going to be nice to you tomorrow. And the problems you have to deal with at work, the, the, the hurt that you have to deal with, uh, some of you in here have lost family, uh, some of you in here have broken relationships, and your quality of life is suffering in one form or another. And I would just tell you that the suffering that you are enduring right now, in comparison to how great it's going to be in the presence of our King, it, it, it doesn't even compare. It's not even close. And I would say to you in closing, Christian, press on. Press on. There is hope. There is a day coming where King Jesus rules and reigns on this earth. And there will be rest given to the Gentiles. This week you say, Pastor, how can I pray? Jesus encouraged us every day to pray that his kingdom would come. One day when his kingdom comes, this world is going to be a much easier and better place to live in. Let's pray for his kingdom to come. Let's stand together this evening. We'll finish looking at this next week. We'll look at letter B under point number uh, 2. Then we'll look at 3 and 4. And we'll finish up chapter 11 and 12. And finish this prophecy from Isaiah under King Ahaz uh, here in Isaiah. I hope the Bible study was an encouragement to you tonight. And that you'll go forth excited about King Jesus and his rule. To our guests that are here tonight, we are so thankful that you've taken the time to be here. And if there's any questions we can answer, any way we can help you, please let us know. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed this evening. Ask God to bless us as we go and give us a great rest of our week. Brother Greer, if you would, close us in prayer.